rustling of the leaves as we turn to the text in the Bible. The important thing is what God says, and he's speaking through this book. Matthew 19, verse 6, Wherefore they are no more twain, but one, one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. What God puts together, man is not to separate. And there are some things that belong together because God has put them together. Turn now to the 85th Psalm. We're going to read this Psalm, and I want you to look for some things that God has put together. Now, I'll tell you this, friends. We're in a world and we're in a generation when everything that God has put together, the devil is trying to put asunder. The home, obviously, is one thing, but that isn't the only thing the devil is aiming at. He's aiming at anything that God has joined together. He says, separate. He has a million imps out at work at it, trying to segregate, trying to fragment, trying to decimate, trying to get one thing away from something else. Disunion, anarchy, that's his program. What God has joined together, let not man put asunder. 85th Psalm, I'm going to ask that you read with me responsibly. I'll read the verse, first verse, and you the second, and so on. Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. Surely his salvation is nigh them that fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Truth shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Righteousness shall go before him and shall set us in the way of his steps. Now you notice two great traits or attributes that are said to meet together in that tenth verse. And in the beautiful repetition of Hebrew poetry, the thought is emphasized. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Another of the translations puts it this way, loving kindness and truth have met together. Love and truth, in other words, are joined together in God's program. The New English Bible translates it, love and fidelity have come together. Justice and peace join hands. And another translation, love and loyalty now meet. Righteousness and peace now embrace. 
Now, why the emphasis on the meeting of these two great attributes? Because the devil has been trying for 6,000 years to separate these two attributes. We may call them justice and mercy. We may call them truth and love. One emphasizes the strict hue to the line character of God. The other emphasizes his mercy, his forgiving kindness. And the devil is trying to do what? Separate them. But what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. And no one, don't miss this, no one truly understands one side of the character of God on this matter unless he understands the other side. The two are not disassociated. They are not antagonistic. Each one is a reflection of the other. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. They've embraced. This was wonderfully and gloriously demonstrated at the cross. Here was the complete manifestation of the character of God. At the cross, justice and mercy, love and truth met and embraced. I want you to notice a most vivid presentation of this meeting in Selected Messages, Book 1, page 349. This is a most sublime presentation. The grace of Christ and the law of God are inseparable. What does inseparable mean? You can't separate them, but the devil says, I'll try, just watch me. God says, you cannot do it. You cannot do it. Which do you vote for? God or Satan? You think they can be separated? I'll tell you, my friends, there are many things passing for the gospel today that separate these two things. And when you separate them, you really have neither one when you get through, I'll tell you that. The grace of Christ and the law of God are inseparable. In Jesus, mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. In his life and character, he not only reveals the character of God, but the possibility of man. He was the representative of God and the exemplar of humanity. He presented to the world what humanity might become when united by faith with divinity. Notice, he was not only a substitute, he was that, certainly, but he was a demonstration of what by the grace of God can be wrought in our lives. Aren't you glad? He was the representative of God and the exemplar of humanity. He presented to the world what humanity might become when united by faith with divinity. Now comes the sublime presentation of what happened at the cross. The only begotten Son of God took upon him the nature of man and established his cross between earth and heaven. Through the cross, man was drawn to God and God to man. Man was drawn to God and God to man. Where? Yes. Are you drawn to God through the cross? In what sense could it be that God was drawn to man through the cross? Did God love man more because of the cross? No. Did he love man more after the cross than before? No. Well, then in what sense? In this sense, friends. At the cross, God saw a way he demonstrated a way, he revealed a way, 
and God representing justice upon the throne of the universe saw a way that man could be pardoned without in any sense weakening the structure and justice of the universe. He saw how man could be forgiven without setting the law aside. He saw how he could bend toward the repenting sinner without in any sense accepting or condoning the sin. That's what God saw at the cross. Through the cross, man was drawn to God and God to man. Justice moved from its high and awful position. And the heavenly hosts, the armies of holiness, drew near to the cross, bowing with reverence, for at the cross, justice was satisfied. Christ on the cross bore everything that justice required. Christ tasted death for every man. He paid the debt. He paid my ransom. Oh, I'm so thankful for that love. Aren't you, friend? Justice moved from its high and awful position, and the heavenly hosts, the armies of holiness, drew near to the cross, bowing with reverence, for at the cross justice was satisfied. Then in Desire of Ages, in that matchless chapter it is finished, page 762, again, these wonderful thoughts are beautifully expressed. 762, God's love has been expressed in his justice no less than in his mercy. I've pondered over this statement. On my page, I've drawn a ring around those words, no less. That means something, friends, no less. We think of the mercy of God as revealing his love. And what is that mercy? Infinite mercy. As we sing in the song, grace that is greater than all our sin. An infinite love revealed in an infinite mercy. But this says that God's love has been expressed in his justice no less than in his mercy. Justice is just as much an expression of God's love as mercy is. Now, I'll tell you something. If we don't comprehend that, should I say if we don't agree with it, that's what I mean. I'll tell you what's the matter. We either need a different view of justice or else we need a different view of mercy. That's the point. For God's love has been expressed in his justice no less than in his mercy. And if we understand God aright, we see God's love in his justice as well as seeing God's love in his mercy. Justice is the foundation of his throne and the fruit of his love. Is the world suffering today because of a permissive attitude toward lawbreaking? Are criminals roaming the highways and going through the streets of our cities making life unsafe in both country and city? Why? Because, my friends, there's only one chance in several that the criminal will ever be caught. If he's caught, there's only one chance in several that he'll ever be convicted. And if he's convicted, there's only one chance in several that he'll suffer the penalty to the nth degree. And so the law of averages is all on the side of the criminal and lawbreaker. Man has become so soft, so permissive, that the criminal high-handed rebel that he is, he defies the law. 
The justice of God is this, friends. It recognizes that the law must be enforced and that with that is wrapped up the peace and order of the entire universe. What shall we say then of a gospel, a so-called gospel, which would present, watch this, present the obedience of Christ as something which is a substitute for man's obedience. Christ died for man's sin, and man goes free and is free to continue in transgression. He can go right on breaking the law, but he's saved because of the sacrifice of Christ. My friends, that is not the gospel. That is not the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation from sin to everyone that believeth. And in that gospel, God's love is revealed in his justice no less than in his mercy. Justice is the foundation of his throne and the fruit of his love. It had been Satan's purpose to divorce mercy from truth and justice. Interesting word, divorce. Our opening text was, speaking of the bride and the groom, the husband and the wife, they are no more twain but one. What therefore God hath Joined together, let not man put asunder. What do we call it when one or the other parties gets a legal separation from the other? Divorce. And that's been the devil's purpose, to divorce mercy from truth and justice. That's been his aim all down through. And he's working at it just as he's working overtime to fill the divorce courts of our land. So he is working to separate in the mind of man the concept of mercy and the concept of justice. It was Satan's purpose to divorce mercy from truth and justice. He sought to prove that the righteousness of God's law is an enemy to peace. But Christ shows that in God's plan they are indissolubly joined together. The one cannot exist without the other. Oh, I think that's wonderful for you. There would be no mercy, no real mercy, no lasting mercy, no worthwhile mercy, no effective mercy in this universe if God's justice could be set aside or destroyed. And equally so, friends, there would be no justice, no real justice if God's mercy could be destroyed. The one cannot exist without the other. And then the prophet quotes this wonderful text which we read here from Psalm 85, 10, and I want you looking at it there, the 85th Psalm, the 10th verse. Let's read it again together, all together. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Oh, I think that's beautiful, don't you, friends? You know, when the bride and groom are joined in the wedding, sometimes they not only join hands, but they embrace. There's a kiss of love. And this is the picture here. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. There is no war, my friends, between justice and mercy in the character of God. They're joined, indissolubly joined together. And what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Now, this must be true in our experience, friends. Truth is the revelation of God's will that we may know it. Righteousness is the demonstration of God's will, doing it. Truth, knowing God's will. Righteousness, doing it. Faith is man's response, believing the truth and doing the righteousness. 
Both are made possible through the gift of Christ. He is the truth, John 14, 6. He has given man the gift of faith. Faith is one of the gifts of the Spirit. He has given man the gift of righteousness. Righteousness that covers every transgression that's past of the penitent. Righteousness which not only covers him, but enters his very mind and soul, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And this righteousness, this truth, this justice, this revelation of the will of God, in knowing it and doing it, is not something against love or instead of love. Love is not a substitute for righteousness. Neither is faith a substitute for righteousness. Faith is man's response to God's truth. And love is an expression of man's response to God's love manifested in obedience. So turn to Galatians, the fifth chapter, verses 5 and 6. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. What avails? What's worth something? What gets something done? What is it? Faith which worketh by love. By Paul, you mean faith works? That's what he said. Sure, it was made to work for him. I thank God. You know what people usually do with some machine they get from the factory that doesn't work? What do they do with it? Send it back. Yes. James makes a very strong stand. He says that faith that doesn't work, that won't work, that can't work, is what? Dead. And Paul is right in harmony. He says the thing that avails, that is, that's worth something, gets something done, is faith which worketh by love. And that doesn't mean to run off and try to work without either faith or love, friends. That won't work. You may try. That's legalism. That's what people inveigh against when they see somebody seeking to keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. They say that's legalism. They don't understand what legalism is. Legalism is trying to do right without God. Trying to be righteous without the forgiving grace and the sanctifying grace of Jesus Christ. Trying to keep the law without the indwelling spirit and the sprinkling of the blood. But turn over now to 1 Peter, the first chapter. I want you to see it's impossible to do that. But it doesn't mean that it's impossible to do it the right way. Anything God says can be done, friends. What do you say? Where the word of the king is, there is power. As many as received him, to them gave he power. First Peter, the first chapter and the second verse. Peter's writing an epistle to the people of God scattered throughout various parts of the world, and it includes us, friends, because it's written for our admonition. Second verse. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit unto what? Obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. So, this precious grace is unto obedience. That's the purpose of it. Paul in Romans 1.5, reading the margin, calls it the obedience of faith. 
Does faith obey? Yes. If it doesn't obey, it is not faith. It's presumption. In Jesus, in John 17, 17, says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As I was meditating on some of these texts, I was thinking about the beautiful rainbow. What color is the rainbow? It's all colors, somebody Isn't it beautiful? Red and orange and yellow, green and blue and violet, merging and blending. But you know, all those colors, and don't miss it, are in every ray of light. Stand out here in the morning sunlight as those rays of glory stream down and remember every one of them has red in it. Everyone has orange in it. Everyone has all the other colors. They're all in there. Oh, somebody says, is that so? Is it? Is that so? Well, I can't see it. But it's there anyway. And you get a, a shower in the right position with reference to your eye and the sun. Those millions of raindrops act like little prisms breaking up the light into its various colors. You can do the same with a little prism. Refract the light, break it up into its colors. The rainbow, the the drops of water don't add any colors. They merely show you what is in every ray of light. Am I telling the truth? That's the way it is, Dr. Eames? Dr. Ings, the eye doctor, you know, he'll tell me if I'm getting it right. Ah, bless your hearts, friends, at the cross. At the cross, as the storm and tempest of wrath against sin broke upon the head and the heart of Jesus Christ, the divine justice and mercy were seen to be an expression of the infinite love of God. And around the throne forever now is that rainbow that represents the union of justice and mercy in the plan of salvation. What God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Oh, my friends, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of any message which would attempt to emphasize one at the expense of the other. Who would, any message which seeks to pit one against the other, any message which would hurl epithets against those who would join both of these. We need both. We need both. White light is not merely red, but it is red. White light is not merely blue, although it is blue, it includes blue. White light is not just yellow, although it includes yellow. White light includes the red and blue and yellow and all the various blends and combinations of the oranges, the purples, the greens. Beautiful, isn't it, friend? And so it is with the character of God, and it's all summed up in that one word, love, for God is love. And as we view that character, And as we bring it to the prism of Calvary and see the justice and the mercy, the life and the death, the glory and the shame, 
the forgiveness, the justification, the sanctification, the righteousness imputed and the righteousness imparted. As we see all these colors, as it were, of the white light of God's character, let us not seek to run off with one of those colors and say, this is it, I've got the whole thing. No, you don't have the whole thing. The whole thing is the whole thing, my friend. We need every color of the rainbow to make the white light of God's perfect character. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.